0: Welcome back everybody this is Rick Pettigrew with a quick look at our top news stories from from this past week of Archaeologica. Send us feedback on the Archaeology Channel Facebook page or post a message on our social networking site Archaeoseq. A new statistical analysis shows that physical violence in the high Andes correlates well with drought cycles. Computer simulation of the muscles of Lucy, the famous African human ancestor, shows that she had big muscles and was at ease on the ground as well as in the trees. Another computer simulation appears to show that puzzling population cycles in the mainland European Neolithic were likely caused by episodes of warfare. And a remarkably ornate and well-preserved Bronze Age sword came to light in Bavaria. Thanks to everyone for supporting a subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, available at heritagetac.org. We now have hundreds of titles you can binge upon on Roku. Please help us spread the word. Again, that link is heritagetac.org. Our tour program, TAC Tours, will continue this year, including a tour of Andean sites in Peru in October. The link to our tour program is at archaeologychannel.org tours. And now here's Laura Kennedy with the audio news from Archaeologica. We hope you find this to be a valuable part of your day. Welcome to the audio news
1: from Archaeologica. I'm Laura Kennedy, and these are the headlines in archaeological and historical news for the week of June 18th through the 24th, 2023. Our first story comes from the Andes, where a new study shows that climate change between AD 470 and 1500 led to increased violence. As reported by ScienceDaily.com, climate change in current times creates human problems, like disrupted crop production that lead to economic impacts. Many studies also observe that when temperatures go up, so does the level of interpersonal violence and homicides. The evidence is historic as well. Research from the University of California, Davis, shows a pattern of increased violence during climatic change in the south-central Andes between AD 470 and 1500. During that time, which includes the medieval climatic anomaly from AD 900 to 1250, temperatures rose, extensive droughts occurred, and the first complex societies in the Andes collapsed. According to lead author Thomas J. Snyder, climate change and potential competition for limited resources in the highlands of the south-central Andes likely also led to violence among people living there. The study looked at head injuries of these populations, a proxy for interpersonal violence commonly used among archaeologists. Snyder and his team analyzed existing data from nearly 3,000 skeletal fractures of humans found at 58 archaeological sites in what are now Peru, Chile, and Bolivia. Climate data for the period was drawn from the area's high mountain glaciers. According to Snyder, periods of decreased precipitation predicted increased rates of cranial trauma. This suggests that climate change, in the form of lower precipitation, had a significant effect on interpersonal violence in the region. Drought-induced resource scarcity seems a likely explanation. Widespread abandonment of Wari and Tiwanaku sites in the region took place during this time, indicating a sociopolitical unraveling as the climate deteriorated. This study found that on average, for every 10-centimeter decrease in annual ice accumulation at the Kelkaya ice cap, the likelihood of interpersonal violence more than doubled. Intriguingly, the pattern was not found in coastal and mid-elevation regions, indicating that people there either chose non-violent solutions to climate change or were not affected by it. Greater diversity for these regions in their agriculture and economies probably buffered the situation. According to Snyder, it's important to look at the history of people's interaction with nature when evaluating the challenges of today's climate change and how best to handle them. The archaeology of the Andes, with its extreme climatic variability, incredible archaeological preservation, and robust records, provides an excellent opportunity to study human response to climate change. The new study appears in the journal Quaternary Research. Next, we go back 3 million years to the time of one of our first ancestors in East Africa. New research using 3D modeling software has allowed a reconstruction of the muscles of the 3.2 million-year-old AL288-1 fossil, better known as Lucy, belonging to the species identified as Australopithecus afarensis, an early hominin. As reported by ScienceAlert.com... The reconstructions show that Lucy not only had strong leg and pelvic muscles for clinging to trees, but also knee muscles that allowed upright walking. Paleoanthropologist Ashley Wiseman from the University of Cambridge in the UK used the latest computer modeling tools to reconstruct the soft tissue that didn't survive with the fossil. Starting with what we know of living human muscle and bone structures, she worked backward, looking at clues including the fossils' dimensions, structure, and the traces muscles leave where they attach to the bone. A total of 36 muscles in each leg were reconstructed, most larger and taking up more space than their equivalents in modern-day people. These powerful muscles indicate that Lucy would have been able to stand upright. Afarensis individuals were shorter than we are, with smaller brains and ape-like faces. They would also have had a much lower fat-to-muscle ratio in their legs. Major muscles in Lucy's thighs and calves would have been over twice the size of humans. The Lucy fossil was discovered in the 1970s. While it was well accepted that Afarensis could walk, scientists had debated whether it was a chimp-style waddle or something akin to the upright gait of modern humans. According to Wiseman, Lucy's muscles suggest that she was as proficient at bipedalism as we are, while possibly being at home in the trees as well. The new model tells us much more about how the species lived some 3 to 4 million years ago, roaming areas of open-wooded grassland, as well as more dense forests in East Africa. Lucy likely walked and moved in a way we do not see today in any living species other than the modern human, the only living animal that can stand upright with straight knees. The new research marks the first time that the soft tissue of an early human ancestor has been reconstructed in this way. The same technique could be used for other fossils, and while some guesswork is still involved, computational methods are better than ever. According to Wiseman, muscle reconstructions have already been used to gauge the running speed of a Tyrannosaurus rex. By applying similar techniques to ancestral humans, we can reveal the spectrum of physical movement that propelled our evolution, including capabilities we have lost. This research appears in the journal Royal Society Open Science. Our third story takes us to Neolithic Europe, where a puzzling population cycle may finally have been solved. As reported by the science website phys.org, scholars have long wondered why the prehistory of Neolithic farmer populations in Europe showed a boom-and-bust pattern, including collapses when whole regions were abandoned. One common explanation cited climate fluctuations as the main driver, but empirical tests don't fully support this claim. Now, a new study by Peter Turchin and his team at the Complexity Science Hub research facility in Vienna, Austria, concludes that periodic warfare, not climate change, was crucial in shaping the population dynamics of early farming societies in Neolithic Europe. The team used computer simulations to model both scenarios and compare the results with historical data. The new analysis, published in the latest issue of Scientific Reports, shows that periodic outbreaks of warfare can account for the boom-bust patterns in the data, while climate fluctuations cannot. According to the study's lead author, Daniel Condor, it's the first time an agent-based model has been applied on this scale for a pre-state, pre-empire period. While previous simulations divided the area into a few large regions, this model covers most of the continent and works with units as small as independent villages. Turchin had been applying mathematical models of social integration and disintegration to analyze the rise and fall of complex societies, such as historic agrarian empires or modern nation-states. He wasn't convinced that the approach would apply to prehistoric times like the European Neolithic, when most people lived in small-scale farming communities with no deep social inequalities and little political organization beyond local settlements. With no state or nobles to rebel against, such societies would be less susceptible to social disintegration and collapse. However, increasing evidence suggests that even supposedly simple Neolithic farming societies collapsed, In fact, according to Turchin, these breakdowns are even more profound than those in more recent societies, because archaeology shows substantial regions were depopulated. The new study focuses on the period from the first evidence of agriculture in Europe to the beginning of the Bronze Age, from 7000 to 3000 BC. The simulation begins with each small unit of the map either empty or occupied by a village of independent farmers. Then it introduces two components— population change in each unit based on climate variability during the time period, and interactions, which can include villages splitting, migrating, or coming into conflict. The patterns created by the computer simulations were then compared to real-world data. Based on the study's findings, climate variation cannot explain boom-bust dynamics during the time period, but simulations involving social conflict produce such patterns. The Neolithic period in Europe was more socially complex than many think. Although large-scale political organization was rare, things were not static. People didn't live the same village life for three or four thousand years at a time. The new study, spanning multiple regions, shows that cycles of disintegration and warfare in early farming societies were a general pattern. Even people organized only on the level of a small village were still affected by their neighbors. We end the week in Germany, where archaeologists in Bavaria discovered a well-preserved sword in the town of Nördlingen that dates to the Bronze Age. Most Bronze Age remains around Nördlingen belong to the Urnfield culture, which emerged around 1300 BC. This culture grew from the preceding Tumulus culture, and its people developed advanced metalworking skills, producing sophisticated bronze weaponry and armor. As reported by Heritage Daily, The sword came to light in a deposit of grave goods and weaponry, alongside the remains of a man, woman, and child. The find is extremely rare for this part of Germany, as most burial mounds were looted during ancient times or excavated during the 19th century. The sword has a solid hilt, made by overlay casting the handle over the blade. The hilt is ornately decorated with a geometric pattern, while the blade shows no indication of impact marks. This suggests that the sword had a ceremonial function or was a symbol of high status. However, according to the researchers, it would still have served as an effective weapon. The center of gravity is on the front part of the blade, indicating that it was designed predominantly for slashing. According to Matthias Pfil, head of the Bavarian State Office for the Preservation of Monuments, the sword and the burial are still being studied by archaeologists. Whether the sword was locally crafted or imported is also being investigated. Three main distribution centers are known for Bronze Age swords of this type, known as octagonal swords. One was in southern Germany, the others in northern Germany and Denmark. A comparison of casting techniques and decoration shows that some of the octagonal swords in the north are apparently replicas of South German forms, while other pieces could be genuine imports or the products of wandering craftsmen. That wraps up the news for this week. For more stories and daily news updates, visit Archaeologica on the World Wide Web at archaeologica.org, where all the news is history. Also, be sure to check out our new subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, at heritagetac.org. I'm Laura Kennedy, and I'll see you next week.
0: This has been the Audio News from Archaeologica, presented by the Archaeology Channel. Be sure to check back with us next week for our next edition. You can spread the word about the Audio News by clicking on the Share This link on our Audio News webpage, or just by telling your friends. Thanks very much for stopping by.